This episode is brought to you by Eastern Bank, the largest commercial bank headquartered in Massachusetts, with more than two centuries of service to the various communities it serves. Eastern supports investing in people and places that are poised to make a difference, doing good things to help people prosper. To learn more about Eastern Bank, please visit easternbank.com. That's easternbank.com. Hi, I'm Juliet Mayers. Welcome to Entering the Inspiration Zone with Juliet Mayers, a podcast for business professionals and entrepreneurs seeking positive connection and professional development. As an accomplished author, speaker, DEI strategist, and member of Forbes Coaches Council, I am living the dream, and I love helping others achieve their dreams. Each episode, I will share with you actionable steps that you can take to build the work and life you've imagined. Welcome. I'm so excited to have my friend Martha Fields, president and CEO of Okimi LLC, on this week's podcast. Welcome, Martha. Hello, Juliet. What a pleasure it is to be here on your wonderful podcast. I just think you're doing phenomenal things on it. Thank you. Thank you. And so Martha is not only the president and CEO of Okimi LLC, she is an internationally renowned consultant, author of eight books, and she actually was the youngest vice president at a Harvard Medical School teaching affiliate hospital in Boston. And I'll let her tell you what age that was. (laughs) And Martha is someone who is passionate about helping others. Her mission is helping people find worldwide purpose, work, and well-being success. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with her. Like with many of our podcast guests, I'm going to have Martha introduce herself. Thank you, Juliet. And again, it's a pleasure to be here and to be with your audience. And, you know, I am somewhere between the age of 40 and 80. I won't tell you exactly how old I am, but I'm getting ready to have a big milestone birthday. But I will say this. I just recently saw that the price of a postage stamp is going up and a postage stamp is now going to be 63 cents. When I was born, a postage stamp was three cents. Okay, so that'll give you sense. You can figure out like my age as we go forward, but I'm very young at heart. But you know, I'm going to talk today a lot about this whole issue of purpose, work, and well-being success, because that is my mission. That is my dream. It is what they call, the Okinawan people call it their ikigai, their purpose, their reason for being. And I grew up actually in a very interesting setting. My dad was um, in the U.S. Army, and we spent part of our childhood, I spent part of my childhood in a tiny island off the coast of southern Japan called Okinawa. And it was an unbelievable place to grow up. I also, being a part of the U.S. Army, U.S. Air Force, I was part of one of the largest gypsy organizations in the world. So I've traveled around the world. I went to nine schools in 12 years. So from K through 12, I went to nine schools in 12 years. But that's the part of being, you know, a gypsy is part of that. But living in Okinawa was really, it formed impressions for me for my entire life. I did not know at the time 
that I was living in the number one place where people live the longest and are the healthiest in the world. And it wouldn't be until 52 years after I had left there, when I left at age 11, so I'm giving you some hints about my age here, that I would discover that I had grown up in the place that people live the longest and are the healthiest in the world. And there are more people there, Juliet, who live to 110 plus per square feet than anywhere in the world. They do not tend to get a lot of diseases like Alzheimer's, dementia, a lot of cancers, and they're healthy and happy and really fulfilled in their lives. And so when I went back to Okinawa after being away for many, many years, I found out about this concept and it's called Ikigai. And Ikigai means what is your reason for being? What is your purpose? What is the reason that you get up in the morning? That's how they translate that. And so when I went back there, I actually found out what that was. But I also, for me, my entire life, the number one thing on my bucket list had been from the time that I left there when I was 11 years old was to go back to that tiny island. It was a mystery to me, but all I knew is that it was such a powerful, impactful experience that I had to go back. And Martha, why do you think, why was that such a calling for you? To go back there? To go back. It had been been such an amazing experience living there. Some people liken living in Okinawa to living in Nirvana and Shangri-La, that kind of thing. But the way that the society was there, both in terms of the American and the Okinawan society, They allowed people, there are a lot of, you know, if you look at the Karate Kid, the senseis, the teachers, there are a lot of people that are helping you along the way. It's a very happy um, environment and, and it's a very nurturing environment. But for me, it was a place that I also learned to love learning. Mm-hmm. I had teachers that were so good, Juliet, that I wanted to, I mean, I won't say I was a nerd. I won't say that, but I wanted to go to school when I was sick. Because it was so exciting to go to school. And my mom, who was a Southern Belle, she would say to me, girl, you better get yourself back in that bed. You know, school's <laughs> going to be there when you're dead and gone. You're not going to school today. But, you know, but it was it was there that I think that I was uh, that I learned that my work has also been concentrated also in the film, the realm of diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. And for me, living overseas at a young age and living in a society where things are sometimes very different, sometimes they're the same, sometimes it's like, what in the heck are they doing? But that actually set me on a course to be active uh, in looking at cultures and the way people interact. And I I think that was really good. So anyway, I I lived in Okinawa for a long time and it was a very patriotic place, by the way. It was very, very patriotic. At the end of the day, when the sun came down, they would play around the air base. They would play taps around the air base. You would stop what you're doing when you were a kid playing or if you were in your car, stop. Put your hand over your heart because they're playing the national anthem. And so when I came back to the United States, what was really interesting is I came back at a very interesting time um, in the early 60s when things were very segregated. And I happened to come back to Langley Air Force Base and NASA. That's where my dad got stationed. And if you ever saw that movie, Hidden Figures, mm-hmm. did you ever see that movie? I, I certainly um, did. Great, the- great movie. Hampton, Virginia. Mm-hmm. I came back to Hampton, Virginia. So going from this place where you're not black, you weren't white, you were American, you're patriotic, you were like, you know, look, looking at different cultures to a very segregated environment. Mm-hmm. It was like I had gone from Venus and Mars back down to Earth and I didn't know how to, to uh, manipulate it around there. So did you have an opportunity to interact with Air Force kids who were, were there also did you get to mix and to 
integrate and have friends who were Okinawan while you were a child? Both. Mm -hmm. You had both. Yeah. And um, it's not necessarily that way now, but we all interacted a lot. Again, this is the way in some third world countries, but a lot of the people actually worked in your homes. You know, mm -hmm. they were, they did your gardening. They did, they actually sewed your clothes. They, you know, were your nannies. They were amazed. That was kind of the way of life there. So you also got to know people on that level. Mm -hmm. So I got to know, and then in school, we had culture classes where we actually learned things like, you know, how to wear kimonos, Japanese mm -hmm. tear ceremonies. We were living in Okinawa at right after World War II. And many people may not know this, but the Battle of Okinawa was one of the bloodiest battles fought in all of World War II. Mm -hmm. And so we had to learn about the war and we had to be very cognizant of our surroundings because there were landmines and grenades. And, you know, we were, if you think of the movie Tarzan and Jane and the jungle, that's what my environment was like. It was like being in a jungle. We swung on vines like Tarzan. Oh, <laughs> seriously, seriously. But in doing that, you were in Shangri-La, you were on a heaven on earth, but you also had these things that you had to be aware of. So we had to be very aware that if we saw something that looked weird in the ground, don't touch it, go get an adult, because that could be a grenade or a landmine from World War II or yeah. we got killed. So it was very interesting, like learning the history of that and then also learning how to be an American. Yeah, so there the were really, time. it sounds like there were really two parallels that you were living there, right? In terms of this, this Shangri-La, as you describe it, but the reality of it is you were also on an Air Force base and I'm sure there were some tensions there as well. And so I want to fast forward to, because this is now a key part of the work that you do in terms of uh, Okimi LLC and mm -hmm. help us understand how you have translated that into your current business and to your current passion around helping people find purpose and work mm -hmm. and well-being. Success. So I want to just tell one more piece of my story. So I'm going to talk about what you just asked me about. I then in the early 70s came to Boston to go to Boston University. Not too long after Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King got his doctorate at, at there. And so, you know, coming to Boston was also a very, very interesting perspective. And then I went on to be get into the Harvard uh, healthcare system, always in managerial and executive positions. And it was there that I also gained an appreciation and love for healthcare and helping people and moving things on. And so that then translated was I had gotten, my story was that I had gotten to a point at a very young age where I was a vice president in one of the Harvard hospitals and there was nowhere else for me to go. You know, it's like you're a vice president, you're going to be a president next. And I looked around and there was no one that looked like me in those positions. At that time, there were very few women even in executive positions in those hospitals. And so I said, well, what am I going to do to fulfill myself and to go to the next level? And that's when I made the decision. I Going to be, I won't be every uh, president of a Harvard hospital, but, but I'm going to be president of Fields Associates, which was my first company. And I started mm -hmm. that. And then yeah. that took me on a trajectory of thinking about how do you take all the skill sets that you had before and transform those into something, you know, that is good in terms of a business, but also in terms of your passion. Mm -hmm. And for me, again, it was healthcare. It was consulting. It was writing. I eventually started writing books mm -hmm. because people back in the day who were in management development positions, the Rosabeth Moss Cantors of the world, they wrote books and then they would do speaking engagements. And so that's what I did by way of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my dream 
has been evolving as we've gone. And I love, Juliet, when you talk a lot about dreaming and planning and creating and achieving. And as you're moving yourself along in your career, like, what do you need to do in order to be successful? And for me, you know, I've had my ups, I've had my downs, but I feel that one of the things that makes people successful and having that, you know, again, that purpose, work, and well-being success is to be able to take um, a failure or um, and, and really learn from it. What did you learn as a result of that? And I feel, I was saying that you learn as much, if not more, from the downs as you do as the ups in life. And it's what you do with those failures in terms of your life and how you inform yourself that can help you to move forward. So you mentioned how you were able to translate that into your work. And what I was trying to get at is the connection between your experience in Okinawa and your adult life of going back to that. And so I'm not sure if I explained that totally, but that's what I was hoping that you'd uh, comment on. So again, my experience experience in Okinawa, how that translated really, I think, in my adult life Mm -hmm. is, you know, one of the areas that I have a lot of passion around is diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I think it's because, you know, I learned at an early age, like, you know, how do you look at those things and how do you also help people to translate? So for me, I had to come back to a society that literally I did not understand. Yeah, And, you know, and I had to understand, like, I I remember we got off the plane and we were on a bus going across country. We get to a um, you know a place in Dallas, Texas, and you know it's a it's a white restroom and a black restroom. And I go into the black and it didn't look good. I run out and I start going into the white. And my mom gets up, Monica, you can't do that. You can't go there. And it's like, why, mom? You can't do that. But aren't we all Americans? Can't we all go the same place? So understanding that and then translating that to the work that I'm doing today, as we're, you know, as we're looking from, you know, moving when I started in the business, it was really affirmative action. And then moving from diversity and then diversity, equity, inclusion. And now it's diversity, mm-hmm. equity, inclusion along me. But I feel that a lot of my um, energies around that and came from what I was exposed to at, at a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also think yeah. that the society that, that I came from over there, it was... And it was part of it was the, the U.S. Air Force and part of it was just, you know, how people look at things. It's like nothing can stop you. You know, that little red engine, like we would read that book in the school. And it's like the engine that could like, you know, I think I can. I think I can. I know I can. I know I can. And if you put your mind to it, it was something that my, my parents also said, you know, you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. Mm-hmm. And also if you learn from your failures as you move forward. So I translate that into like how that kind of, you know, translated for me. In, in life and in work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think today it's we're at a time where so many people are trying to find purpose in what they do, right? Particularly our young people, and I should say our younger people. And we're also at a time where there's such misunderstanding around work and why and the value of work. And I see it a lot, particularly with older adults who don't understand how the younger generation, quote unquote, doesn't have a a work ethic, which is not accurate, which is not correct. It's just that the the way that our young people value work is different in the sense that they are working to live, not living to work. And so there's a shift in that paradigm, which quite frankly, I think when you think about uh, what you're talking about, well-being, actually is a positive uh, approach to it. It doesn't mean you're lazy. It just means you you put work in its proper context. So talk to us about 
you know, what you're seeing in your work, because you work with organizations to help them with things like the labor shortage and so forth. What are you seeing? So there are two areas that I love to work in. One is around preventing labor shortages, but preventing them through leadership excellence. Yeah. Because, you know, my feeling is that a lot of organizations tackle it by, well, let's go out and, and find someone to do the job. But quite honestly, that one of the number one reasons that people are leaving organizations is because of their leaders, their bosses. And so if you don't have leaders that are trained or educated in how to take care of what you were just saying, Julie, at this workplace, that's really important. And also understanding leaders that understand things like, you know what is a number one thing that people are looking for? It's exactly what you just said before. It's not living to work, it's working to live. In other words, people really enjoy what they want to enjoy. They And they want purpose-filled lives and they also want purpose-filled organizations. They want mission-driven, purpose-driven organizations and they want that organization to understand what they can do to help them to move along in, in their career. So finding what your purpose is, to me, that's really key. And there's a concept, my, my latest book is called The Okinawa and Me, Finally Finding My Ikigai, My Reason for Being, My Purpose on, on Earth. And organizations, again, not only are people asking them to come up to the plate and be purposeful, but they're also um, having to figure out how can they help people to be uh, find that purpose. Mm-hmm. And once you find that purpose, and in my book, I outline this, there are four questions. And this is based on a concept that is thousands of years old from Confucius. And to find your iki, find your reason for being. Okay, there are four questions you have to ask yourself. Juliet, you have to ask yourself, what do I love to do? What am I good at doing? What does the world need that I love to do that I'm good at doing? And then the final question that you have to ask, and when I heard what this final question was, I started laughing because I said, this is an ancient concept. <laughs> so it's like, you know, again, what do I love to do? What am I good at? What does the world need? But finally, how am I going to get paid to do that? Right. And think about it. That was like, whoa, that's kind of really like sounds very modern to me. Right. But the the thinking of it is, is that, okay, it's the whole thing of like when I'm on that airplane and they say before helping others, please put on your oxygen mask first. And in other words, you cannot help other people if your Maslow's hierarchy of needs are not met. If you don't have security in your house, you don't feel safe, you don't those things. So first of all, take a look at yourself and what are those things that are going to get you going? So then you can think about your career. And what's really interesting to me about Ikigai, sometimes you're probably not as often as much, but sometimes your work is your Ikigai, your reason for being your purpose. But other times, you know, I, and I tell people to think about this because if you have a nice paying job, okay, it's not, you know, you, you really love doing, you know, taking photographs of people in the Andes mountains and all around the world and coming back and do it that, but you can't make money at that. So go to your job and then, you know, and understand that it's that job that's fueling you and being able, having you to be able to make the money that you want, but being really clear about what is my purpose and what am I doing and how does my job fit into that? For me, I'm one of these people, I will never retire. There is no word for retirement in Okinawa. They do not retire. And they believe that, you know, you just keep, you know, morphing and that you find what you're going to do. Why would you want to retire from your Ikigai? Right. So. Finding that is really key and important to understanding your success and how you move forward in life. Yeah, I, as you know, with my book, the whole dream concept that you mentioned is really around helping people to dream a new dream, right? Whatever it is that you think you want to do, really push yourself and think 
further and to think about what is it that you really want. And that changes. So it's important to revisit that, right? So when you say you're, you're not going to retire, it's about, okay, so what is it that next iteration, that next phase? Exactly. What is it that I want to do? And how do I do it in a way where I get there? Now, of course, when it comes to work, and work is very important because it pays the bills. <laughs> mm-hmm. That fourth one is really important, right? Because you can have those first three that you mentioned mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, what do you love to do? You know, what, what does the world need? Uh, you know, and, and what was the, the... What does the world need? And then how do I get paid to do it? And, right. Oh, so there were only three. I thought there were four. There were four. <laughs> what do I love to do? What am I good at doing? Because what I love to do may be not what I'm good at doing. What does the world need? And how do I get paid right, to do right, it? Right. But, but like you were saying too, Juliet, so, and I think that's an important point these days is to understand I have morphed. I, yeah, and you have yeah. to continue to morph. It's not like I'm doing the same thing. And, you know, you're, you're icky guy. You can change. But you've got to be also willing to do the work and to know how to do that. I have this saying. I say I feel that when it comes to our careers especially, you know, when we're young, we're constantly being asked, well, what are you going to do when you grow up? What are you going to do? So you grow up, you go through high school, you go through college, you grow up. But we do not ask the question, what am I going to do now that I've grown older? We are growing older, even though the, you know, right now it's 76.4 is the age that you might die. Okay. That's the average age, but we are living longer and healthier. And many of us are choosing and, but it's a matter of like thinking about how does that move? I think it's been interesting to see a lot of the athletes and other celebrities that are retiring, but they're not retiring. So when Serena Williams retired, she said, you know, I'm really not retiring. I'm just going to be a better me. I'm going to be a new version of me. And so thinking about that and thinking about that question, now that I've grown older, what do I want to do now that I've grown older? And, you know, I have this another saying is that I feel that people spend more time, Juliet, planning vacation, planning on what they're going to wear to a special party, planning, you know, a trip to the beach than they do on planning their career and taking the time and sometimes the money that is needed to to really go through and evaluate where am I in life? What is my career? What is my work? What is my life? I don't believe in work-life balance per se, because I think mostly our lives are not balanced. Yeah, I, I think I, of I, it I as work-life integration. Right. And I, I would agree with you there. I I think the whole concept of work-life balance is about really work-life integration. Yes. And so this whole notion of dreaming, right? I think what I surmise from what you're saying is that it's funny because there are some a lot of similarities in our frameworks, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can dream, but then you've got to plan for it, right? right. You need to have a, a plan about how you're going to achieve that. So I think the four-pronged model that you described is mm-hmm. very, very important. And it's interesting that it's hundreds of years old because as they say, there's nothing you do under the sun, right? It's really about even that is reinvention and exactly. and sort of um making sure we're putting things in a context where they can, it can help to propel us forward. So you've also talked about, Martha, this whole notion of well-being, right? So you talked about purpose and how important work is in in terms of that element. And when it comes to well-being, I think the Okinawa piece, given that you did grow up in a place where the longest living people um, Mm -hmm. has the most people who are longest living, but how do we parlay that into American 
society where it's all about this work yourself to the bone and the impact that that can actually have on people's well-being. Well, okay, this is what I say. I say that that sometimes in this country, I think we have to look at different models. And if you look at the Eastern, if you look at Eastern people in general, I don't want to stereotype, but they tend to live longer lives. They tend to be healthier than we are here. And so the other thing is, there's a lot of, you know, my with my medical and, and um, healthcare background, in my book, I did a ton of research and to make sure it's like, okay, I better get this right. Because if I go out there, my colleagues that are at Harvard Medical School or, you know, hospitals or whatever, they're not going to get it right. I found through my research, Julia, that there actually are certain things that you can do in your life. And it's been well documented and researched. There are, and I call them my eight healthy aging principles. There are mm-hmm. places, there are five places in the world where people live the longest and are the healthiest. They're called the blue zones. Okay. And in these places, they all practice the same eight principles. And I think, you know, to, to your point, it would behoove us in this country to like become more familiar with them. Right. And so let me just quickly just say where those five places are. One is here in the United States in Loma Linda, California, but it's only a small segment of Seventh-day Adventists that live there. There's another blue zone in um, Nico- the Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica. Then you go all the way to the Middle East, go all over Europe to the Middle East to, and there are two places. One is in Sardinia, Italy, And the other one is in Corsica, Greece. You think about the Mediterranean diet, all that there. But then to get to the final and the number one place that people live the longest and healthiest, you go all past Europe, past China, past Russia, to the south, past Australia. You get to the far end of the world, the far east, and that's where Okinawa is. And that's the number one place. But there are eight things that people practice. And that's the researchers have told us that all of these people in those blue zones, they all practice the same eight principles. Mm-hmm. So you might say, what are they? Yeah. So Martha, what are they? <laughs> Hoping you would ask, because this is one of my favorite things. <laughs> and I'm, you have to get my book, The Okinawan Me, to, to get to all of them. But I'm going to give you a thumbnail sketch of these. The first piece of what it is, is you are what you eat and drink. And certainly we know that a plant-based diet, okay, is optimal for you. But also it's how you eat and how much you eat. There's a concept that they practice in Okinawa and it's and Japan, and it's called hadahachibu. But you may have heard of it. Some people here in this country have heard of it. They say eating until you're 80% full. Mm-hmm. You heard of that concept? Yes, I have. Yeah. I hadn't heard of either one until I started doing research for this book. But the thing is that you don't eat until you're full. Like I grew up in a society and all of my friends and families that I knew had the same thing. And that was that you have to eat everything on your plate. If you don't eat everything on your plate, you're not getting up from that table. But basically that's not what you're supposed to do. When you eat something, it takes 20 minutes for your brain to tell the stretch receptors in your stomach that you're so you really shouldn't be eating all the way. You should only eat until you're no longer hungry. Right. When I right. found that concept out, Juliet. I actually lost, and tomorrow it will be six years since I lost 65 pounds and I've only gained three pounds back. But I got to get wow. those off. Yeah, tomorrow. yeah. So, okay. so it sounds like those eight principles are packed with wonderful information. And I know that they're in your book and I'm going to yes. direct people. And I just gave you one to, of the, I just gave yeah. you two of the principles, yeah. but yeah. yes, there yeah. are other yeah. ones that have to do. And the last one really has to do with what we're talking about dreaming. It's like, you know, find what your purpose is, what your ikigai, then dream your dream daily. Just live your dream. Stop just dreaming. You know, if your dream is not what you want, kick that one to the curb and try another one. You're not going to have any penalties against you for doing that. But Find what you want in life 
and then live your life daily, not just dreaming about doing it, but live it daily, Juliet. Yeah, well, very good advice. And I know that there's so much more that you could talk about given the lots of rich nuggets that are in your book. Again, uh, Martha's book is called The Okinawa in Me, Finally Finding My Ikigai. And you can find it in the show notes along with the description of the eight principles uh, in her book are, are those eight principles that she talked about as well as her framework and a lot of other wonderful nuggets. And so I'm just going to take a minute. There's been so much here that's uh, been shared and so, so rich. And I'm going to just uh, do a quick recap of some of the things that I think are really important and not that they all aren't. And when I finish, I'm going to ask Martha to provide her contact information, how our listeners can reach her. And so, you know, we started this whole journey with Martha talking about her growing up in Okinawa on an Air Force base and the whole experience there and what that meant for her in terms of learning to not only different culture and to appreciate uh, people of different backgrounds, but also uh, being able to draw from that and having actually experienced the number one place in the world for healthy aging, which is Okinawa, Japan. And she also shared it with her coming to Boston. And what I took from that is not so much the journey of coming to Boston, but being able to parlay what are some very rich cultural experiences into what is now her vocation of helping people uh, with purpose and life and uh, diversity, equity and inclusion, and so much more, uh, particularly in this time of, of labor shortages. And the four questions, I think, if you walk away with nothing more, I think we all can ask ourselves those four questions uh, in terms of helping us find or re-evaluate our purpose. And, and those are, one, what is it that you love to do? What is it that you're good at doing? What does the world need, right? And I'm paraphrasing here. And the fourth one, which is very important, right? As it relates to work, how do you get paid? <laughs> so, so it's fine to have those first three, but without the fourth, you're not going to be, uh, <laughs> um, you'll be a poor popper that's just, just sitting there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we don't want that. We want, we want wealth in, in both in terms of health and in terms of finances. And so those are all very important. And of course, uh, she, we ended with the eight principles that are, are common among the five blue zones, the, the areas of the world where people live the longest. And, uh, so we're imp very important to, to look those up and to see what you can glean from those. Because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, right? We will all want to live productive, healthy lives and we all want to really experience well-being, both in the workplace and in our, our personal lives. So Martha, thank you so much for sharing those rich, rich words of pearls with us. And tell our listeners how they can reach you. Yes, you can reach me by going to my website, which is www.okme88.com. Like I'm okay with me. So it's www, like okme 88.com. And you'll find all the links to Twitter and Instagram and everything else. And you'll find some interesting um, excerpts from the book. And uh, 
Juliet, again, what a joy and a pleasure. You are just a superstar in my book, as well as just a dear, dear, committed, wonderful person to the world, to mentoring people and being my friend. So thank you a million, a billion times for having me on your show. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Wonderful to have you. And as I mentioned before, and as with all of our podcasts, you can find the links in your show notes. And I want to thank you again for joining us here on Entering the Inspiration Zone. Thank you for joining us on Entering the Inspiration Zone. Until next time, we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to join our mailing list, please send an email to info at inspirationzonellc.com. That's info at inspirationzonellc.com. And be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Thank you and have a fabulous day.